Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paints, mediums, and gesso in the business. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints. Based in New Berlin in upstate New York, they're an employee-owned company dedicated to making the best supplies for you to make your best work. Check out their products in just about any art store or at goldenpaints.com. Aliza Niesenbaum was born in Mexico City and is currently based in New York. She received her BFA and her MFA from the Art Institute of Chicago. She's represented by Anton Kern Gallery and is an assistant professor of visual arts at Columbia University School of the Arts. She has had recent shows at the Phillips Collection, the Boston ICA, LA MOCA, the Minneapolis Institute of Art, the Whitney Biennial in 2017, the Flag Art Foundation, the ICA at MICA, the Biennial of the Americas at MCA Denver, the Rufino Tamayo Painting Biennial at Museo Rufino Tamayo in Mexico City, and she has a forthcoming exhibition at Tate Liverpool in 2021. Her work has been covered by Artnet, the Brooklyn Rail, Art Forum, Freeze, Vogue, Art Review, and The New Yorker, just to name a few. I met up with Eliza at Anton Kern Gallery at the site of her solo show, Choreographias, which is on view through November 2nd. Here's our conversation. I'm not going to laugh. Don't well, if, no, laughing's good. You can laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a nice color. And my, my fingernails. Yeah. I know. I'm so, this is like my favorite color. Are those gels? Yeah, those are gels. They last a long they time. They last a while. They look a little strange because they're so thick, but purple, like light purple is my favorite color for like skin also. Yeah, they're nice. Thank you. So, well, you have the show up now. How long has it been since you painted? Um, since I painted for the show? No, I mean, just since you painted. Oh, I, I've started painting. I oh, really? did, did a couple of works for FIAC. And um, are we, have we started already? I guess so. <laughs> um, we'll start with the nails. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, this is a really good place to start. I love purple is, I think, my favorite color right now. It's like a, a periwinkle, like a soft purple. Yeah, like this kind of pastel purple is, is like, I think, I think Monet... Was it Monet? Yeah, Monet said that it's the color of atmosphere, like uh, cobalt violet when mm-hmm. it was invented, because like it was invented during his time, and he was like, "That's the color of air." It makes sense because he uses it a lot. Yeah, no, he uses it a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also really good for faces and for. It's just my favorite. That's a nice color. Thank you. So, um, but you're painting now. You're back. Yeah, yeah, I'm back to painting. Did I, you ever, do you ever take a break after a show? Yeah, I mean, I just made this little painting, and then I might go to Mexico to visit my family after, like, in a couple of weeks when the show's done. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like when I first started having shows, I would never take time. Like, I was just, like, so, gotta keep going, gotta, you know. And then I've learned, it's good to take a break. It's really good to take a little breather afterwards. Yeah, to see it. It's been an intense painting period. How long did it, how long is the... The time frame of that work, like a year, a year of of nonstop painting, because because the scale was bigger than anything I've ever made before. Yeah. So it was like a pretty intense. And then I moved to London to make part of the show, and then came back. So 
it was like moving to another country and then wow. f- coming back and painting here. Now, when you, that was for a residency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you take your materials or did you get materials there? I shipped did, them. I shipped a lot them? of my materials from New York and then I got a huge canvas there. Yeah. Which is kind of unnerving because you're so used to working with your particular surfaces and the surface of a painting is so important to me. You know, right. I like a very specific kind of oil prime surface. And um, strangely, like I talked to this one company in London and they were like, we're not using linen too much anymore. But they were like, we we use this um, French polyester that was super smooth that I think uh, Bridget Riley uses. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. I'll try it if Bridget Riley uses it. And it was like one of my favorite surfaces I've ever painted on. Nice. It was really lovely. Speaking of that color. Yeah. It's a Bridget Riley color. Yeah, exactly. This purple is a Bridget Riley color. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, you know, sometimes when you get out of your element, sometimes it works out well. Pleasant surprises. I yeah. know. It felt like kind of ice skating when you when you painted on that oh, surface. That it was so glide. smooth and oh. just like really like lustrous, like the, the white of the of the surface of the canvas kind of shine through the colors. It's really a nice surface. But it's a lot of work. But it was a lot of work. Have you ever done one like that? No, never done a painting with 15 people full scale in, you know, in a subway um, station. <laughs> so That's a lot. It was a lot. It was, it was so much fun. Like, I was living there. It was basically like um, a commission from the Art on the Underground, mm-hmm. um, which is the the really long-standing... Um, subway metro metro commission in in london and um so i was invited to live there in brixton which was a station where the painting was going to go up you know the the i made an actual really large painting and then they trans translated to a vinyl and um and my studio was located in the back of the station so i ended up painting 15 people that work in the victoria line like we put an open call for anyone that wanted to be painted from that one station and many people replied and then I painted them each from life and then they could you know the the public the general public in London couldn't see me working but all the train operators and the people that worked at the station could would pass by my studio you know and they would yeah and they would comment on it they're like make my make my sleeves uh shorter so that you can see my tattoo or paint me like don't give me pink lips <laughs> you know like all these i mean i painted them each from life but then i would do some adjustments and and paint the um the clothing and everything after the fact but they wanted it a certain way they wanted it a certain way but overall they were kind of they did cede control to me yeah you know? but well, and so that how long was were you there I was there for for two months and a half. Two and a half months, and actually three months. What am I saying? Like so three it, months and a half. <laughs> was it just that painting that you did? Just there? that painting. I made that painting and a smaller one, where I painted this one woman, Desi, who who was pregnant with triplets, and so I I wanted to put her into the bigger painting, but she didn't have a uniform that fit her. Um, because she was, you know, so pregnant. And then yeah. so she got the proper shirt. And then I painted her with these posters that I found at the Transport Museum in London. Um, there were like historic posters made by women for the past hundred years for the, for the art in the underground. So mm-hmm. a lot of them were like really interesting, like uh, during the Blitz, like wear or carry something white, you know, and there was all these posters that marked that particular era. So I so I painted her portrait with these historic posters from from other designers that had worked at the at the Metro. At that the was subway. the one that was on this wall. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, the smaller well, one. That uh, the even though it's a different, env- a very different environment, that mm-hmm. work doesn't 
stand out. It doesn't stick out as some made somewhere differently. You know what huh. I mean? So yeah. it, it feels cohesive with everything else. Oh, good. I, you'd never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I painted myself in there in that uh, big transport for, you know, in the, in the big commission, the London Underground painting. Because every time I'd go to London, even as a child or something, I'd love the Arnold, the Van Eyck Arnolfini wedding, which yeah. is like a circular painting, and and so I did my version of it, which is like a, me looking in a like a selfie photo in some ways in a circular subway mirror. That was, you was it actually there? Or did you invent it? No, it was actually there. It was there. Like when you pass the the large like kind of long hallways in in the London Underground. There's many circular mirrors as you walk through. So right. I was like, oh, this is just like the Arnolfini wedding in some way. Or like, so did they all pose in that one spot? They, they posed at different times, you know, so, oh, so they okay. would come and like first we had like an information meeting about what the whole process was for everyone. And we had like cookies and everything. And then and just to, so that they would get to know each other in some ways. And so I started to kind of observe who's friends with each other or what kind of social configurations would make most sense. And then I kind of drew out a whole composition with all the people that would be in it. And then each one came to sit for me because obviously they each had such different uh, schedules that they couldn't be at the same place at the same time. You know, they were all working really different hours. And like the portrait is of people from like um, everyone from the subway, the station manager to the cleaning staff. And, and it was just so interesting sitting with each of them because it was a particular uh, kind of tumultuous time to be in London. It was mm-hmm. like when right when Brexit, Brexit. was going to happen. Yeah. And so each, while I was sitting with them, each one of them was telling me their opinion about Brexit, you know, and <laughs> that's it was quite interesting. Cause, and, and it was that's like one of my favorite parts of my process, just like how when you sit with someone face to face, you know, they might say something politically that you that you disagree with or that you don't see common ground, but you find kind of common ground because painting someone from life is just such an intimate experience. Yeah. Like there's nothing else really that says where you sit and stare at someone for like three to six hours you know seven hours sometimes and and they're like helping you with the process in some ways yeah this is only like an hour exactly this interview is <laughs> even though we are staring at each other with these odd microphones it's, it's i'm not like looking at every one of your eyebrow hairs right. yeah you don't have to do that no <laughs> well it's funny because i i was gonna say your process that process is something like obviously you really enjoy it engaging in people in this way you know it's a very Mm -hmm. direct method of not only painting but also you know asking them about who they are in their life and all that Mm -hmm. is that something that you've always had like growing up were you in a in a social situation or was family like that or or is it something you came to later on I mean it's like it's really a strange thing that's like a uh uh, kind of accumulation of lots of different interests since I was younger in some ways. Like I I started college in Mexico City where I grew up and and I wanted to be a social worker first, you know, and I and I would go to all these community centers and mental institutions and everything when I was like almost like eighteen to twenty before I moved to the States. And and I thought I would do that as my profession and then and then I gave up on it because I was kind of torn between wanting to do like social work and work really closely with people in that way and being an artist. So then I started working like figuratively from life uh, all through my undergrad years. And then, and then I started, and then I went into abstraction. So it was like a really kind of preambling 
like uh, and then I came back to something that relates to to working with groups and with social communities in some ways and and also art you know right. and, well well growing up what was the creative atmosphere like in the home um well my mom was an artist. Um, she, my mom's American and ended up in Mexico City. She went to study art historic preservation. And my dad um, was really interested in, in psychology, actually. And, and he's in, you know, so it was like a house where my mom, my mom actually would make these huge flower paintings mm-hmm. and we'd critique them over dinner or something. She'd bring them into the dining room table and, and we'd talk about them. Um, oh, the family critique. That's the family a bold, critique. A bold move. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's this there are these like amazing. I don't know if you've been, ever been to Mexico City. Uh, I haven't. Amazing gardens called Xochimilco, like in the south of Mexico, where it's actually like almost a remnant of like pre-Columbian Mexican tradition, where there was like these floating gardens, and my mom would buy like huge amounts of of plants and bring them home and and then paint them. So. Strangely, like when I started to get back into representation, I was thinking about her work, and like just almost in two thousand eight or something, when I moved to New York, I was thinking of like Manet's last uh, flower paintings when mm-hmm. he was dying. Actually, he would paint these like small bouquets of flowers, and I was just thinking about how women sometimes think of themselves through their mothers, you know, and yeah. and like also these bouquets that street sellers in Mexico sell and, you know, thinking about just buying a bouquet of flowers in a bodega here that might might come from Mexico or something and, and just painting them from life again. Yeah. And that kind of led me back into painting representationally. Now, when you were in school, was it something you were navigating like conceptually with the work? You know what I mean? Of, of okay... Like, how did abstraction come into that equation? Was it just the peers and or the the area? I mean, you know, went to school in Chicago. There's a lot of great art around, yeah, museums and all that. How did yeah? It was it was so interesting to be. I mean, at the Art Institute of Chicago, the the classrooms were connected. You know, it was just a building away to be able to walk into the museum, and it was such a fortunate space to be there. And since I stayed for quite a while, I kind of worked with very different types of professors like Susanna Coffey and these like very representational painters that were working from perception. And then in grad school, I started to work with people like Greg, Greg Bordowitz and Michael Newman. Um, and that, and they really informed kind of the conceptual other, other interests I had, you know, like, and on the other hand, also my sister was studying at the university of Chicago philosophy and she, introduced me to this thinker that I really that really had an impact on me uh, called Emmanuel Levinas that talks about how all ethics comes from like the face-to-face uh, relationship you know that it's not something that's kind of um, external to like the contingency of a relationship but mm-hmm. all ethics comes from like the phenomenon of having another person sitting with you and how you can never uh, describe them fully you know and that kind of elicits an ethical demand somehow so so then in grad school I went into thinking about like some of the things that Greg Bordowitz would talk about like how the only politics that matter are the politics in in a particular room at a particular moment you know how power plays and politics happens on a micro level all the time and it just took a really long time to kind of, and I'm still figuring it out, you know, try to think about all these different interests I had, like like kind of political interests of people in some ways, like even Tania Bruguera, who I mm-hmm. worked with when I got to New York, um, 
who started this space, Immigrant Movement International, which was about bringing kind of a community center and bringing rights and um, and artists also to work with undocumented immigrants. So it's like I had really like my interest in being like a painter painter, but but like a lot of my ideas came from people who weren't painters in some ways, right. like it often happens yeah. with artists. Well, what made you choose Chicago? Um, my, my mom ended up moving back to the States and she settled in St. Louis. And so how old were she, you when that happened? Well, I was still in Mexico city. Um, okay. but, and so I'd spend some of the summers up here, mm-hmm. but like maybe I was 17 or something. Uh-huh. And so like, I, I barely knew about Chicago when I was in Mexico city, but, yeah. uh, somebody mentioned this school and I just ended up there. Right. And, and boy, then, like growing up having that warm, vibrant climate, the color palette, <laughs> yeah. then Chicago. Then Chicago. Well, and I you loved. doubled down. You did, it wasn't just undergrad, right? Yeah, you no, stayed, I, st- I ended up staying there for years? grad school. Like Seven? Almost, no, 10 years. I, oh, I lived ten, in Chicago. Wow. I've been in the States like half my life now, you know, yeah. and like 10 years in New York, 10 years in Chicago. And um, one, of the, one of the paintings that is in this show is a portrait of my friend Patricia Tribe, mm-hmm. uh, who I met in undergrad as one, one of my first friends in Chicago. And then she ended up moving to New York, and so she kind of introduced me to a lot of the people here. So she yeah. was, so I kind of followed her to New York. She opened the door. She opened bit. the door for sure. Yeah. Well, that's always important. When that's you super important. City, that community. Well, and there's plenty of people from Chicago who moved to the city. So yeah, I'm sure that extended network helps out. Yeah, totally. Like a lot of my grad school friends, like Maxwell Graham that started Essex Street Gallery and a lot of us moved to, almost at the same time to New York. So what year did you start in Chicago? Um, I was, I think there in... 1998, and okay. then I ended up leaving in, yeah, in 2008. Okay. And that's when, yeah, that's when I moved to New York. That's a good amount of time. That's a good amount of time. Now, and you had never been in Chicago? Or never, it? never. So that's, isn't that a stark move? It, I love the winters in, oh, in Chicago yeah. when I first got there from Mexico. I was like, this is so invigorating. Right. <laughs> now I like them much less, but yeah. but I was really into into winter and seasons and all that. That you know, wore the, off after a few years? Yeah. The, year I mean, after year. <laughs> year after year. <laughs> the I bitter like, cold. Okay. I remember I was living in Pilsen in, in the southern side of Chicago, and one time I was walking home, uh, early when I f- had first got into Chicago with my groceries and I got frostbite and I was like, okay, oh. this is <laughs> like my hands, I could not open them. And then I was like, okay, this is not so cool. I don't like yeah. the winter anymore. Exhilarating is okay, but when you're <laughs> yeah. suffering massive you know, know. injury from the cold. Yeah, I feel like every season it's like that though. At the beginning of like end of fall, beginning of winter, that cold air, it, it makes you feel alive. Uh, yeah. And yeah, by like kind of... March when it's still winter for some reason, you know And what it's I mean? really dark. And you're, you're just like, over no. it. <laughs> yeah, the darkness too. Mm-hmm. The, the getting dark early and yeah, that's rough. I know. So, it's but really I'm sure rough. when spring and summer come around, you're feeling pretty yeah, good about this. I'm really ready for spring and summer. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also really nice because my sister came to Chicago. So it's like I had a family member there yeah. and that's why we, we stayed together for quite a while. That's good. Well, and growing up too, what was the music thing like? I mean, was music big in the house? It was, music was not so big. I was always like dancing since I was a kid. Like, I mean, like, uh, it was mostly like dance classes and all this stuff, you know, like, so obviously music. Yeah. And, and, um, 
it was so funny. One of my first boyfriends in Mexico was from Colombia, mm-hmm. and I ended up meeting um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez with him in Mexico uh-huh. City, which was such an interesting experience. But he taught me how to salsa dance because in Mexico it's more like cumbia and and right. other dances and and. Um, We'd, so I was I was going out dancing a lot in Mexico in my teens and stuff. And then just last year, I started thinking, you know, I, I really want to r- do that again. You know, so this this friend of mine, Camilo Godoy, who's also an artist in New York, um, who I met like almost six years ago when we were both volunteering at Immigrant Movement International with Tania Bruguera. Uh, we were like, let's let's just go out dancing every Thursday, you know, for for the entire year that I was doing this show, and you know, obviously a little bit before, but not as regularly. Yeah, he was like, he he was telling me of this quote by the poet Alice Walker: uh, "Difficult times require furious dancing." And I was like, yes, I totally need to go dancing every week. Yeah. Um, and then I was just thinking of this the the kind of very particular space of a dance club, how it's like. You know, I feel like so much uh, emphasis is placed on identities and solid identities right now, you know, and how they're different and how in some ways we don't find common language with and how, uh, you know, like fascist powers try to separate people based right. on their identities. Yeah. And and so I was thinking of this this space of like salsa dancing in these clubs and how you meet people that might be, again, like like painting from life, like totally dissimilar to you, but but you like dance together and there's no like small chat it's just too intense too fast so right. you have to like find like your bodies responding to each other or something yeah. like a common language that yeah, way yeah the thing that brings people together from different places and it, mm-hmm. but it's the identity of people is kind of sidelined it's like, well i yeah. go to a lot of yankee games it yeah. brings all types of people yeah same thing sports do that yeah exactly. and you're just into the game you know what i mean yeah. i feel like those kind of activities are good like they Mm-hmm. You know, they meld people together with a common interest, but it's not all about those other things. You know? Yeah, it's not about ideology or any of these like labels that we put on people. Right. But, but it's like really a collective action. Yeah. So when you're doing this, I mean, boy, things really changed. Yeah. In a few years back. <laughs> totally. So you mean like, for my work in my work or no, politically? Politic- <laughs> well, kind of time. I, yeah. I don't know. What's the timing of that? You know what I mean? Because you're, yeah. you're engaged in a community and doing work mm-hmm. within a community and matters that have completely been, you know, thrust into the forefront of, mm-hmm. of like, you know, a necessity for an urgent action to counter mm-hmm. some of the policies that have been going on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what? What is the feeling of that when you're, because you're, you're really ensconced in it doing this work? Yeah, it was interesting because when I first um, got to know Tanya Bruguera, uh, I was really inspired by her work in Immigrant Movement International. And so I, I told her, this was like almost six years ago, and I said I, I, that I just wanted to teach a class for undocumented immigrants and just kind of intuitively, like outside of my work in some ways. Like I, I wanted to teach. Uh, I just wanted to participate, and she was like, "Well, teach a class that was that that would help people learn English English language skills." So, so through that class that I taught, it was like a feminist art history class. It just happened to be that way because some of the sitters that that I some of the people I was teaching were really interested in particular female painters like mm-hmm. Mary Cassatt and and Frida Kahlo when I took them to the Met. You know, it was yeah. the first time that I that they had ever been in a, in at the Met. Um, and 
And so after teaching that class, I was like, can I sit, can I paint in this public space um, and paint their portraits? Because I was really inspired by the stories they told me. And so it was the first time like I painted in a public, in a public space because there'll be all kinds of different activities happening at the same time. And then, and then like uh, I made that work and then all of a sudden Trump came into power and like immigration became so over-politicized, you know, that I was like, I, I don't want to necessarily talk about immigration anymore you know and right. I don't, I don't want to make work about that because because um, it's because it's being used for all these instrumental reasons you know by the wrong people and so um, so I, I was just interested in thinking about how to complicate or how to think about uh, like how to think about how people find agency in other communities I guess you know like one of my favorite poets is this guy, um, well, writer and poet Fred Moten, mm -hmm. who talks about how people, like in the lack of kind of structural support by the government or, or anything, like how people find ways of reinvigorating their means of assembly, you know, how people assemble and find agency in, in kind of grassroots organizations and stuff. Because all the people from Immigrant Movement International like find these kind of, smaller groups that that give each other support so that's kind of what led to this body of work in some ways now do you you know having this show up and, and reflecting on it do you feel the urge to continue in that vein i mean it, do you, can you go back to just making abstract paintings or or paintings of flowers and do you yeah. know what I mean or do you feel at the moment you're really kind of ignited by this charge of of kind of telling these stories of people and identity and you know and I feel like it all is cumulative with painting you know so I still like the flowers still enter these works the abstraction like the kind of gestural mark that I mean my when I was an abstract painter I was just really interested in how abstract marks make you really present you know like they make you really aware of the particular moment that an artist put paint to canvas or right. something so it all is cumulative but I but in the future yeah, I'm really interested in going to particular sites and working with communities and teaching or, or some kind of way of relating and then be, the outcome being these paintings that are like slow documents. You know, they're not like a photo which happens sometimes quickly, right. but like being engaged with a particular community and having the outcome be be like a cumulative uh, document in some ways. Yeah, I always think it's interesting too to of artists who make work that can be zoomed in or specific to a, a time or an idea and then we'll zoom out and then because it's kind of inclusive of our world you know what I mean mm -hmm. like I've done shows that are very specific about surveillance imagery or conspiracy theories and then follow that up with a show about like rainbows yeah it doesn't <laughs> like like the, our minds aren't perfect of, yeah exactly yeah. because there's space for all of that like obviously for aesthetics and for like intelligent it all comes really, it's all tied together. You right. Know? Like, well, there's space for all of that for us in our minds, but sometimes people have a hard time uh, yeah. with artists having that space in their work because they're like, wait, aren't you the person that's supposed to be doing this work? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of sad that there's a limitation in some people's minds of expectation of what your, the content or the conceptual side of your work has to be. Yeah, you know exactly. Because I mean? it's, yeah, you'll find it's really hard to be uncoherent in some ways, even though it seems because you're limited by your mind in some ways and by your like bodily experience. Right. So, but I, I think it's, sometimes it's offensive that totally. with um, artists of like minorities or artists who are dealing with certain mm -hmm. issues, 
in that realm that they get pigeonholed into that kind of like, oh, well, you're supposed to be making art about this. Yeah, you have to represent this community because right. you're like the Mexican painter or right. something. And like if you're a Chinese artist and you're doing paintings of people around your community and then you get known for that and then you start painting flowers and people are like, wait, are yeah. you supposed to be the Chinese artist making Chinese paintings about Chinese people? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And no, that doesn't really yeah, happen totally. outside of that. Like it seems like something mm. that's very limiting and a, a kind of frustrating part of the way... the I don't know if it's the art world, but the expectations of certain artists. Yeah, it's, it's a certain kind of like branding yeah. necessity or something. But I, I mean, I still feel really compelled to depict uh, Mexican people and Latinos because there's a definitely a hole in art history to be to be explored in that, and it's really it's captivating to me, and I like spending time with with people so definitely it's not such a conflict but that's for the art world to resolve not for artists i of guess of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love in the work downstairs too that um you know these references to like matisse and dance <laughs> and it just it's it's grounded in a day-to-day in a contemporary kind of like environment of <laughs> people and but then there's this real dialogue with art history and and with it's it's really comp- complex <laughs> the amount of different references and you know it's it's pretty great. I mean, is that stuff that you're taking in unconsciously or is it pretty purposeful? It's pretty both? unconscious. I mean, it's it's both. Like you mentioned, I mean, it's it's almost like the more art you see, the more it becomes kind of uh, just intuitive in some yeah. ways. But, but like I loved what you told me earlier about the references to kind of Manet's um, posing and stuff mm-hmm. like uh, it's it's just such a rich history to to be able to take from. Um, so like th- there was one the painting I did of Patricia and I, I was thinking of how Mondrian it's called Patricia and I Boogie on Broadway because I was thinking <laughs> about how like Mondrian was a crazy dancer he loved going out dancing and he was supposed to be wild and was really into jazz and so this is a portrait of my best friend and I and thinking about us getting ready. I don't know, to go dancing or to be painters out in the world since we've known each other for so long, but also referencing his this art historical canon, obviously. That was the most direct reference. The others are more, like, they just happen in some ways. They're more embedded in technique, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and being around museums so much and having all that, it kind of becomes unconscious language, pictorial yeah. language, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, there's also another reference with... My friend Camilo's portrait, Camilo, Jorge, and, and Carlos, and, Bri- and Brendan that I painted, and I called it Mis Cuatro Gracias, my four graces, mm-hmm. obviously thinking of the Renaissance three graces, you right. know, but they did the same pose in that one uh, club where we where we would go dancing every week. With the like Matisse-like figures behind, <laughs> yeah. too, yeah, which yeah. is kind of perfect. Which, which is actually the post, the um, kind of mural that's in that club, but just kind of Matisse-ified, I guess, yeah. unconsciously. Isn't it funny, Monrean? Just I thought of the fact that people would probably assume that that guy's really stuffy. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? But, but he was supposed to be a wild dancer. <laughs> it's so yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. People have a representation, you know. Oh, like a minimalist painter has to be a bore. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> such a good point. Like I Robert know. Ryman is probably in a punk band. Uh, Played totally. at CBGBs every other way. Yeah, <laughs> I love That's that. So hilarious. Um, so with when you're working in the studio. Are you a silence person? Are you a music person, or what well, is? Like sometimes I have to listen to the to the, like salsa music, yeah. <laughs> like embarrassing when I'm painting. But, Why some, but <laughs> no, it's, I feel like movement. A lot of times I'll listen to dance music. Yeah, and, and sometimes I, I have to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say that movement 
works in the studio. Yeah, and and but it almost has to be like the same same record or the same song for this for the same painting. Like so many people say that. Really? Yeah, so many people like say you that. Can't I'll put it. a song on repeat. I don't have that, but I I can understand it. I can't like it. Just really uh, makes it really hard for me to change like the it's like almost the affect or something yeah. it's really weird but but i can't it was too it's too distracting to change the song right mm-hmm. so you might just go to like well who are your salsa people who oh do i like? don't know they're weird mixes oh yeah <laughs> like, like in bachata and all kinds of people it's so funny bachata is so different than it's salsa. so different yeah it's so like counterintuitive to dance you know it's like a weird dance in some ways and the vibe is just completely different yeah it's my favorite do you like uh, reggaeton less a little less but yeah. I, I do like it so it would go so and what about uh, samba and Brazilian samba, I can't dance samba at all. You know, I like listening oh, see, to it, but it's that's the, you're associating everything to dance. I'm oh not, yes, okay, <laughs> totally no, no, no. Not. I'm just talking about listening to it. I, yeah, no, it's beautiful. I've it's been good. trying to teach myself bossa nova because I played jazz guitar for a while, and I've been trying to teach myself bossa nova. It's so complex. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's really complex. The chord changes are, it's like those paintings, yeah, but it's beautiful to listen to. Uh, it, yeah, mm-hmm. and when it's, good, I feel like. I've only listened to, you know, Joe Beam, like the really good Bossa Nova people, but it feels so effortless. Yeah, yeah, totally. And your paintings kind of, they're really complex, but they do feel kind of effortless in a way, I think. Oh, good. They don't yeah. feel like there's a struggle going on there. Well, I and think I, it's because maybe color, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say the color is so inventive, but it doesn't feel like color that it feels intuitive. Yeah, I think color's actually my, the kind of, thing that pushes that that I'm really almost really engaged with formally you know like how that's that's what makes something cohere in some ways and it's like it's super like you can't put your finger on it you know like, yeah. that's my favorite part and, and you ways. can you can be heady about it you can think warms and cools and temperature yeah. and all that stuff but at the same time there is this this gut feeling and sensibility that comes through it oh awesome. which I think you know, kind of defines the what, like it makes the work what it is. You know? Thank you. Well, I really love like painting from life and how complex uh, skin tones are with when you paint someone from life. Yeah. The, Have you, one of my favorite pieces ever is Byron Kim's piece in the uh, oh, yeah. National Gallery of the Sindishin with all the, you know, the, the skin swatches. Yes, yes. So I, I went good. to a studio many years ago and, and I remember seeing that. It's so good. It's really good. And it was such a great idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. speaking of minimalism, but then. Something then, totally different. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what do you? I know this is a change of gears, but how are you feeling about immigration and all that stuff that and the future? And I mean, it looks it's really glum. I mean, it's just like so infuriating because yeah. because I know families that are suffering and are really scared. You know, I know them personally, and also. And also, I'm so amazed by their resilience, regardless of it. You know, I mean, hopefully, Trump will be impeached in the next few weeks or something, and and yeah. there'll be a, a drastic change. You know, because people will be so fed up. But I mean, it's crazy how this is happening all over the world, like this kind of contraction and fear. You know, and how people things are turning so much to the right. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I. I but yeah, the youth. Not so much, I don't think. No, I think no. theirs are, you know, the the ray of light. Hopefully, there has to. I think there has to be a change. I mean, it's like with with environmental problems, and it's so tied, you know, yeah. like the environment and and immigration. 
Right. And the immigration thing here, that's, I mean, it, it's, it's not just cruel. And it's not just, it's not really immigration. It's just like Mexico. It's, yeah, exactly. It's just like anti Mexico, you know, right? and it's like it's that's not. the labor that. It's it's interesting also how Mexican culture is seen in the United States, you know, because oftentimes it's still seen very much in terms of of labor, you know, not right. so much in terms of interest in the music. I mean, sure, the food, but but Mexican people are seen in terms of their labor oftentimes, and and still conceived in that way, you know, right. and and um, and actually, like this economy could not work without like how many? There's like eleven million. Uh, Spanish-speaking people here, you mm-hmm. know, and and, and it, things should become more bilingual, actually, because it's it's inevitable. Right. So. I'm, to this day, I'm irritated that I took French instead of Spanish in <laughs> <Yeah>. high school. <laughs> Spanish is a little more useful here. Yeah, I took French seven years, and I never use it. If I took Spanish, it would have been. Well, it's similar, so maybe you can pick it up. That's but. true. Well, yeah, you can. You can pick it. I mean, I, I religiously watch soccer and play soccer. Oh, okay. So I'm listening on Telemundo all the time. <laughs> oh, Hopefully, good. I've picked up a lot of soccer terminology through yeah, Spanish. That's all you need. And it's way more vibrant. <laughs> as far as the, 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 the people that narrate the soccer. Yeah. And huh. Mexico beats the United States constantly. Yeah, we're, I mean, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and a different style of soccer playing, like more bailadito, as they say in Spanish, yeah. you know, like dance, like actually like dancing while you're playing in some ways, less like right. going for the goal. Just powering through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, powering just, through. Yeah, that, that approach. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Brazilian way of soccer. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Like samba. Yeah, it's totally. Like a beautiful movement and yeah. A little yeah. more theatrical. Yeah, definitely. Do you, are you a soccer fan? Do you watch? I don't watch any sports, no. but I know about this from many years. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Um, I'm, I'm going to well, do... Well, FIAC, you said you have... Uh, I, d- I did a little painting for FIAC, and then I I might go and uh, do this project in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then I'm actually going to go back to England to... Um, work with Tate Liverpool and and be really like enmeshed in that community for a while and maybe spend like four months there in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Speaking of soccer, yeah, talking about soccer. <laughs> I'm sure it'll yeah. it'll come up and then we'll do it and then we'll, totally it'll come up. Um, I'm still like researching what I'm going to do there. I think it's going to be around like um, uh, land stewardship, like these these they call them uh, allotments that they have in Europe how people because I, I would spend a long time in Minneapolis and I did a project there with the Minneapolis Institute of Art and I worked with this community that was um, Somali immigrants that had like their own teaching garden it was Hope Community Garden mm-hmm. and I was just really interested in how people are taking you know land stewardship like you know taking the means of of uh, you know like food justice in some ways because sometimes in poor neighborhoods there isn't organic healthy right. food and so i'm really interested in how in england and germany also they have these land allotments so i might make a work work that's around those people that that cultivate land and and how they you know uh just make it a space that's totally autonomous man it's like you you could never get bored doing this i mean there's no. so many compelling peoples and places and yeah. projects you could do. And you can't like necessarily, it's t- it's tricky. Like it's different than when I work with immig- with Tanya at Immigrant Movement International and I knew those people for like six years or something. It's tricky to come in and out of places that you're not so embedded in, right. but you just have to really do like deep research and kind of like be really sensitive when you approach, you know, so that it's not like 
um, intrusive. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but I mean, it's there's also something to be said too about that kind of. I mean, you're going in there to make work mm-hmm. and to celebrate like the image of these people. So, you know, there's a collaboration there. A and B. You you know, there's something to be said too about being able to just you know not be entrenched somewhere, but then go sort of reach out the hand in a way and and bond with a community outside of your own that you don't know well. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's, that's how I, I've always said it. I believe it like vigorously that like ignorance and, you know, and sort of tension and separation happens out of just people not being exposed to other people and other oh, cultures totally. and other ways of life. You know, that's it's yeah. like if you have someone who grows up in a certain place and they never travel yeah, and they never like then the food and like the people like they're just going to be used set in their ways to just be like, this is what I like. Yeah, exactly. Like, I I totally agree with you. Like, there's something very democratizing about, like, the subway in New York because you're in this car with people that, in the subway car with all kinds of people. And therefore, there ends up being, like, it's very interesting the way people come together in those those pressured situations, you know. And everyone's uncomfortable and crabby and whatever, yeah. but you get along, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like if only they could take all those set in a way as like racist people and put them in that environment for yeah. like a month and exactly. just say, look, you're living here. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is true, you know, of, yeah. of how the world is so connected now. Right. But I know. And, and each place I go to is kind of like a, a new set of problems, you know, a new right. set of like, how do I access this space and, you know, wh- whether it's like how you pay the models, how you might do profit sharing with a particular organization that you work with or or how you navigate each one of the situations. Yeah, that's such a great... I know, Thank you. It's such a nice combination of a really great um, sort of action behind making the work and then the work looks that good too. Well, thank you. It's that's so great. nice. Thank you very much. Sure. Well, um, so how can people, how long is the show up? It's I still up that. for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, two okay. more weeks. Uh-huh, till November 2nd. Okay, so I will, this will be out before the end of that for sure. So people oh, should good. run here to see it. Awesome. Which is Thank the Anton you. Kern Gallery. Yeah. In Midtown. It's like 55th something. 55th food to between Madison and, and Fifth Avenue. And they've got that nice flag outside. It really yeah. kind of pulls you in. It's easy to see it. And yeah. what a space, right? It's a beautiful space. And I'm so happy to have this be. This is the first uh, solo show I have in a commercial gallery in New York. Which so. is pretty, like, a lot of people don't hit the biennial before they have their first show. I know. It's really, it's really, <laughs> it feels nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it took a while to get to this moment. So right. But I'm sure it was like a great opening and meeting all these people. And yeah. Everyone. Well, a lot of the models came, you know, nice. and that's that's the another part that I really enjoy, like either doing a separate, you know, the opening special for, for the models in the in the work. That's what we did in London. But a lot of the models like kind of decided to take the poses in the painting with oh, their yeah. partners. They were dancing like there's this one woman who's the uh, Julie, who's the Reina del Cha-Cha-Cha, you know, mm-hmm. the Cha-Cha-Cha queen of, yeah. of actually the whole United States, I think. And she came with her partner and they start, they took the same pose. So oh, that's great. It's really fun. I'm sure it was a, like a very vibrant scene. It was very vibrant. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> all right. And then you do, do you do like the online social media and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Instagram, okay. Facebook, all that. Just your name? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so people should check out your work there too. That's where people get the updates, right? Yeah, These exactly. Days? <laughs> yes. Well, thanks so much for meeting me here. Thank you so much for doing this. It's it really fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. 
Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more images from the podcast and the artist's work at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram. You can find more about my work at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Uh, soundandvisionpodcast.com is where you can find episodes, past episodes, running all the way back from number one. You can find images on there. You can even donate to the podcast if you'd like to support it. Thanks to Lullatone and to Michael Lovett for their musical contributions. And thanks to all the listeners. Listeners.